This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Good morning. Is this on? So we are at Jonah 2, verses 1 to 10. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and your breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Thanks, Debbie. Appreciate that. So if you have your Bibles or your electronic device, open up to Jonah, chapter 2. Mr. Porter, how are you this morning? I I notice you're wearing a t-shirt. What's that say on there? What? Life is mission. Life is mission. Absolutely. Hey, way, way to go. That's great. You notice I'm wearing the same t-shirt. It says life is mission because really as we're looking at the life of Jonah, we're looking at a person, Jonah, a prophet of God who has been called by God to mission. And uh, what we're seeing in his life experience um, are feelings, thoughts, things that maybe all of us feel at one time or another as we relate to God in the context of where He calls us to be in the world. You know, that's what I really enjoy about the Bible. The, the, the men and the women that we read about, that we encounter in the pages of Scripture, uh, they're like you and me. They're very flawed people. And they're working out what it means to be in relationship with God, what it, what it means to, to live for God in the world. And, and there are times when our understanding of God and our experience in the world, uh, there's incongruity, there's a disparity that that is apparent. Uh, It often is expressed like this, yes, God, but then why? 
right? You ever had the yes, God, but then why kind of an experience in life? Uh, you're walking with the Lord. You understand who God is and in the context of your relationship with Him. And, and, and you, you, you are reading His Word. You're, you're getting a sense of His character and His nature. You understand His heart. But then you look out in the world around you and you say, but there's so many things that aren't right, God. And, and, and if you're really God and, and I believe you are, then why is this so? Any of you had that experience? Or is it just me? Come on now. All right. So let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Jesus, of course speaks to people and he speaks to his disciples and you know he quotes the old testament he says you you need to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love who your neighbor as yourself oh okay well you know i can try to do that Uh, you know i kind of try to love my neighbor as myself okay that that's pretty good god i think that's good good teaching god i think you're right on there Okay, then Jesus kind of ups the ante a little bit. You know, He says, now you, you know that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, but a new commandment I give you. That you're to love one another even as I have loved you. Oh, now wait a minute. It's one thing to, to love my neighbor as myself, but Jesus, Really? I'm supposed to love my brother or sister in Christ in the same way that, that you loved us? Well, I don't know about that. Now, do you see the, the, the kind of the disparity, start, the, the, the little incongruency starting to happen? I, you know, Lord, really? Is that really realistic? After all, I'm not you. And then, it, then, it gets, then he kind of turns up the heat even more. Here's what I'm talking about. We read in the, the Sermon on the Mount this teaching from Jesus in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Okay? What? And then he goes on. It's your Father who causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, now, now wait a minute. I want to try to love my neighbors, myself, and okay, Jesus, you, you, you want us to love each other the way you loved us, and of course, we know that He's given us His Holy Spirit, and He indwells us through the Holy Spirit, and the first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And, and so, okay, alright, because you've given us the Holy Spirit, and I know that it's outside my capacity, but within your capacity to to love my brother or sister as, as, as you have loved us. Okay, Jesus. But love my enemies? 
really? And, and, and as I love my, my enemies, then I'm identified as a child of God. And of course, when we think of a, of a parent-child relationship, uh, we look at the child and we say, ah, Madeline, I know, I know that you're Jen and Lucas's daughter. I, I can see traits. I can see characteristics or mannerisms in you that mirror your parents, right? And what Jesus is saying is that when we love our enemies and we're identified as children of God, that we literally are mirroring our Heavenly Father. And, and in that love, we are demonstrating characteristic similarities of our Father in Heaven. Okay? You see that? But there's that incongruent thing going on that I don't get it, Lord. Why, why do You cause the rain to fall on the just and the unjust? Why do You... I mean, really? Why? You know, people that are our enemies or people that are evil or people who do bad things or, or people who don't agree with my worldview or how I think they should live or, or even more importantly, what Your Word says... Why are you so merciful towards them? And why do you want me to be merciful towards them? Because it insults my sense of justice. Have you ever felt that? I think we all do. That's why it's hard. Alright. Intel. Watch this. Romans 5, 6-8. through eight. You see, Paul writes, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Huh? Okay. At just the right time, when we were what? Powerless. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Our rebellion against God is hostility towards Him. And in a very real way, we, in our sin, are enemies of God. Do you see that? Now watch. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person. Someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, when our lifestyle, when our choice to be rebellious was hostility towards God, when our sinfulness made us enemies of God, Christ died for us. Now here's the incongruency. What I gratefully receive from God and know that I need, I struggle to extend to others. 
especially those I identify as my enemy. You see the incongruency? And this is exactly what's going on with Jonah. That, I mean, that's why I, this, this story, the book of Jonah, is just so applicable to our lives. Here's Jonah. He has a relationship with God. He understands God's law, God's teaching. He's a prophet of God. Uh, he has a great reputation with the northern tribes under Jeroboam too. I mean, who wouldn't? The one that gets to prophesy prosperity and expansion of national borders. and Man, I mean, that, that's a pretty good thing to be able to do as a prophet, right? So life's pretty good for him. And his relationship with God is, is, is real good. But then, God calls him to go. To go to Nineveh. This large city in the Assyrian Empire. And he is to give a warning to the enemies of Israel. And he knows in his heart that when God gives warning and when judgment is pending because of the character and nature of God, there's the opportunity that, that goes along with that for repentance. And what if I go and these enemies don't get what they deserve? In fact, they get something different. Do you see that incongruency? And so his experience, his understanding of the world of evil and those who did harm to his nation and all, it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't match. After all, God, you're a just God, and, and God, you need to deal justly with Nineveh according to my sense of what they deserve. That's that incongruency, isn't it? And this morning, in Jonah chapter 2, what we're going to see is Jonah now receiving the very thing from God that he has a trouble, that he has trouble in his heart wanting to extend to the Ninevites. Because, because really, the book of Jonah is, is about life and death. Uh, the life and death of, of the sailors, of, of the ship that he was aboard, as he fled to Tarshish, the, the farthest place he could go away from. Things that reminded him of God. The temple. God's people. He wanted to escape those things. And he buys that ticket. He's aboard ship and a great storm comes. And, and here is this crew of, of non-believing pagans worshiping false gods. And they come to him in the midst of the storm. He makes a confession. Pastor Tyler talked about confession. Right? He makes a confession to them. I'm a Hebrew, and my God is the God of all creation, the God of heaven and earth. Right? He makes that confession of faith in the midst of his disobedience. And they say, What do we do? And uh, ultimately, he's thrown overboard. The crew sees the sea. They become calm and they worship the true God in the midst of all this. And now he is sinking. 
into the depths of the ocean. And in the midst of this rebellion, in the midst of his fleeing from God, God is going to provide deliverance for him. And we read about that. And in fact, the last verse of chapter 1, verse 17 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Who provided the fish? God provided the fish. Okay? In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the rebellion, in the midst of his sinking and swirling in the waters and the the seaweed coming over him and him hitting literally rock bottom because of his choices... because of his rebelliousness to to flee from God's call in his life, he finds himself in this situation, yet God in His love and in His mercy is demonstrating His love while Jonah is still in his rebellion, in his sin, if you will. At Romans 8. Okay? And, And so, the sailors have this life and death experience. And they come to God and they find life. Jonah is going to have this life and death experience. And it's in the belly of the the big fish. By the way, have any of you seen a whale shark? Lori and I had the opportunity in the Gulf of Mexico to snorkel with whale sharks 40 feet long, like the size of a Greyhound bus. They're filter feeders. They don't have teeth. They open their mouth and plankton comes in. They're huge, cavernous bodies. If you have any difficulty believing that someone could be swallowed by a big fish, man, I'm telling you, it's possible. All right? And so in the midst of all this, Jonah's going to have a life and death experience. And, And in the depths, in the darkness... In the loneliness, the isolation of the belly of a big fish, he's going to have time to to reconcile or to work towards reconciling that disparity that exists between his relationship with God and his experience in the world and how he thinks the world should be. But I, I want to point out something here. He never totally repents for fleeing God. We're going to find him in the belly of the big fish, and we're going to, we're going to find a, a, a song, if you will, of thanksgiving, and there's prayer. But you're going to notice he, he never quite resolves the issue. And, and God is still going to be having to, to teach him and work with him in this disparity. As we get into chapter 4, we'll see that. So, even though the issue isn't totally resolved, there's this struggle with God. 
He recognizes who God is and again says, Lord, I want to turn my heart and my life back towards You. Back towards You. In the midst of this not working it out. And and, and so it is quite possible for, for you and for me to be in relationship with God to praise Him, to thank Him, to worship Him, to recognize that He is our rescuer, our sustainer, that He is the One who gives life. He is the One who rescues us from death and gives us life. But still not fully understand and get His mind towards the world and people around us. And He has a commitment to continue to work that out with us. So there's this holy tension in our lives. So that we don't have to totally understand Him to follow Him or to obey Him. In fact, oftentimes, as we're going to see in the case of Jonah, understanding follows obedience. You see that? But let's look here. He swallowed in the belly of the big fish. And Jesus uses this story as an illustration and a teaching To the Pharisees, they're asking Jesus for a sign to demonstrate and prove His claims about who He is. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40-41, through Jesus says this. He says, you're not going to get any sign except this, the sign of Jonah. And He says this about it. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, So the Son of Man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. Ooh. Wow. Now ironically, what we're going to see in history is Jonah is going to go. He is going to make the announcement to Nineveh. They are going to repent. And God's going to spare them for a season. And while the Ninevites have repented and God is sparing them, the the tribes of the northern kingdom continue to live in rebellion against God. They flaunt themselves in the prosperity that God has given to them. And ultimately, it's going to be the Ninevites whom God spares through the message of Jonah that God uses to bring judgment on the ten northern tribes in the northern kingdom in Samaria. Isn't that something? That the pagans repent, and ultimately, those who are closest to God refuse to, and as a result, they're the ones who receive God's judgment. Ah, figure that one out. So, Jesus is sharing this. He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the, uh, the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. This is so cool. Look here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and said. Now, from verses 2 through 6, there's going to be a praise or a song of thanksgiving, a prayer of thanksgiving. Let's look at this. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Now, this is really cool. 
You're going to be so glad you came this morning. The language here in the, in the, in the Hebrew is birthing language. It's, it's the language when it says, I, um, when it says, in my distress I called to the Lord and He answered me from the deep in the realm of the dead I called for help. That, that in my distress is like a woman. The language is that of a woman that's in labor. That is birthing something. And there's great distress. And you get this picture of Jonah in the belly of the big fish confined in this dark space in distress in what seems to be a place of of death. And yet in that place is going to come deliverance that leads to new birth, to new life, to a second opportunity. And it and it really, Jesus is saying, He's referring to the tomb appears to be a place of death. Right? He's going to die on the cross, crucified. He's going to be placed in the tomb, ostensibly in this place of death, but out of that dark, confined place is going to come, what? New life. Resurrection life. From God. And so we see this, this parallel in it. Isn't that cool stuff? He says, So from the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. And there are times in our life when we're having the belly of the, of, of the big fish experience, when everything's swirling around and, and it appears that we're in the darkness, right? We're in this difficult place and, and ostensibly it looks like we're doomed and we're finished. That as we turn and we look to the Lord where He says to look to the Lord's temple, literally He's saying a place He was familiar with as a prophet, I'm going to turn my heart back to you and to my memory of you and to where I know I've experienced you and my heart is inclined towards you again. And we can do the same thing in those dark, difficult times of travail. He goes on to say, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. Look at a picture of that. Can you imagine? To the roots of the mountains I sank down, to the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So, so those first six verses, Thanksgiving, he's realigning himself with God. He's redirecting his life. He's turning his life from Tarshish, fleeing God, to the temple, moving in God's direction. Okay? That's the start of, of, of what needs to happen in those belly of the big fish moments in our life. 
We need to reorient and realign ourselves with God. That's what He's doing here. But it's by the mercy of God He's doing it and He recognizes it. He sees that all this is from God. And here's a question for you. As we think about Jonah, is there an area in your life where God is trying to get your attention? Put that question up, Sam. Is there an area in your life where God is trying to get your attention? Maybe you are in the belly of the big fish. There's good news. That's God's mercy. And God wants to get your attention. He desperately wants to get your attention. Because He, he wants to work out that whatever that is. That yes, God, but why then? Alright? He, he wants to meet you in that place and have conversation with you in that place. He says we can have the why then and it can continue in a dialogue and conversation just like it does in the book of Jonah. But the important thing is that we're in dialogue and conversation. Don't turn from me. And when we come into these situations in life, we have a choice. We can turn and flee from God or we can turn and run towards God. Those are things that can draw us to Him or things that cause us to run away from Him. And you get to choose which it's going to be. Do you see that? I love this verse in Hebrews 12, 10 through 11. Again, it's kind of parental language, but in the best sense of the way. Talking about parents, it says, They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his what? Holiness. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors of the middle part of the last century. You know what he says? He says, God doesn't call us to happiness. God calls us to holiness. God's concern is that you and I would be made holy. Set apart for His purposes. Now, again, there's an incongruency. What? God, you don't want me to be happy? No. For the follower of Jesus, you can't be happy unless you're holy. Do you see that? It's good stuff. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained up by it. So God doesn't punish us. Jesus took our punishment on the cross, right? But as a loving parent, He disciplines us for the purpose of building us up, strengthening us, conforming us more and more to the image of His Son so that we can be set apart by Him, for Him, for His purposes, that He makes us holy. And His discipline is for that purpose. Now, it's unpleasant. Was it unpleasant for Jonah in the belly of the big fish? You bet it was. But the good news is, for those who bear up under it, it produces the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Peace and righteousness. And you know what? We're at peace when we're fully being and becoming the people that God's called us to be. That's where peace is. Good stuff, isn't it? All right. Verses 7 through 8. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. The temple is representative of God's presence. And wherever God is present, right, that's that image. 
That's where He dwells. That's where He's present. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's love for them. And so what we see here in verses 7 and 8 is a contriteness. It's a semi-repentance. Again, he doesn't repent totally for the reason he is fleeing, but he knows he needs to move back towards God. And so there's contrition here, a contriteness in 7 and 8. And then in verse 9 he says, But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. And so, in verses 1 through 6, there's thanksgiving. In verses 7 through 8, there's that contriteness, kind of a semi repentance, not totally. He's still working it out with the Lord. He knows he needs to get back moving in the Lord's direction. But then in verse 9, there's a rededication that takes place. Okay, I'm going to rededicate myself to your purposes. Even though we don't quite agree, even though I don't quite understand, I'm going to move in your direction and I'm going to live into my call. And then in verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And verse 10 is deliverance. In the end of verse 9, it says this, I will say, are you ready? Salvation comes from the Lord. Can we say that together? Salvation comes from the Lord. The Lord. And Jonah experiences God's salvation by God's love and His mercy. This morning, as we consider Jonah, as we can consider his wrestling with that kind of that, I know who you are, God, yet I don't quite understand my my world, my life experience isn't congruent with who I understand you to be. Remember, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Right? There's a way that seems right to us in our humanness, but that is a way ultimately that leads to destruction and to death. But the way of God is life. The way of Jesus is life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Even when we don't understand, we can trust. And in the midst of our disagreement, we can still turn towards Him and be in relationship with Him. And so this morning, I want you to read Psalm 51, 10-12. Don't read it out loud. I'll read it. But, but make this your prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from Your presence or take Your Holy Spirit from me. Now this is a psalm. By the way, in the ten verses of Jonah chapter 2, there are references to 15 different psalms. You know what? Jonah was familiar with the Word of God. And in his time of distress, what did he call on? The Word of God. He recites the Word of God. 15 different references. He knows the psalms. Now in this psalm, David is praying, by the way, as a follower of Jesus, you've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a sign and a seal that you belong to God. You don't have to worry about God taking His Holy Spirit from you. In David's day, the Holy Spirit came upon people to empower them for God's purposes. As followers of Jesus, He hasn't come upon us. He dwells in us. But we need to ask the Lord to 
to release the Holy Spirit in our life. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Here it is. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a what? A willing spirit, Lord, to sustain me. As the worship team comes up, let's pray. Father, we have prayed in our own hearts the words of Psalm 51. And we say, Lord, create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Restore unto us the joy of Your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. Father, in the midst of the incongruency between our understanding of who You are and the world that we live in, we pray that our hearts will always be turned towards You. And Father, we thank You that when we don't understand, You work that out. And Lord, this morning, if there are those of us who have fled You, if there are those of us who are, are in the midst of the tumult of the storm or even in the belly of the fish, Lord, today may we turn towards You and be renewed and experience Your tender love and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.